to God. Let's look together now at Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. The word of the Lord says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And once again, verse 3 Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We come to this passage in Matthew this morning, and we are beginning a new sermon series focused on what is commonly referred to as the Beatitudes. And so, last week we celebrated Resurrection Sunday, we celebrated that Jesus rose from the dead, but what Jesus did in all of his ministry was lay the groundwork for how upside down the kingdom of God really is. For how upside down God's structure for society is, for how countercultural it is, for how it may seem to go against the grain. And he starts with this sermon, this sermon that we most commonly refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. Now, in Matthew's gospel, Matthew gives us numerous five different chunks of big teaching that Jesus does. What Matthew is trying to do in the way that he arranges the gospel, in the way that the Holy Spirit inspired him to write an accurate account of Jesus's life and ministry is to show us and specifically to show Jewish people who would become Jewish believers that Jesus was, is, and forever will be the new and better Moses. So Moses is the one who we recognize as writing and compiling and editing the first five books of the Bible, right? So we have the Torah, those first five Books. That's why Matthew specifically arranges Jesus' teaching into five large chunks to mimic the five first books of the Bible. He is even in the arrangement of the gospel showing us how Jesus taught and surpassed Moses. Now what's amazing is this first one, which is often called, like we said earlier, the Sermon on the Mount. This is the one that sets the stage. This is the one where you may recall Jesus saying things like, you've heard that it was said, but I say unto you. Everything about this sermon goes against everything that the audience would have known to be true. 
Can you imagine going and you've paid good money or you've lined up for a long time and waited in this long line to see this very famous person and the speech, the sermon, the message, the concert, whatever it is that you're expecting is the complete opposite of what you get. They expect for Jesus to be expounding upon Jewish law in a way that will blow their minds, and it does, but they are not expecting him to be as countercultural as he is. And you may think, oh, okay, that, that sounds all fine and dandy, but I don't really understand. Well, that's where the Beatitudes come in. These first several statements that Jesus makes, he goes up on the mountainside, he sees all the crowd, he calls his disciples to him. So there's his disciples close to him, the crowd out there, and there are tons of people listening. He is situated probably in the hillside right beside the Sea of Galilee. He can speak and he can be better amplified than this microphone is amplifying me. And trust me, I know that you guys are thinking this microphone's probably amplifying me way too much. But just imagine Jesus can talk probably here in a regular tone and the acoustics, the natural acoustics of how God shaped and formed this place. Everyone there can hear him better than you can hear me now. Listen, this is astounding. They all can hang on every word that Jesus says and his beginning opening his mouth. He teaches and says, Blessed. Now listen, you may say blessed. I'm okay with either way. All right. You may hear me say blessed. You may hear me say blessed. It goes either way. It's the same word. All right. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That is the complete opposite of everything that they have been taught their whole life. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. What did they perceive when they heard this word blessed? Well, the Latin word is a word called beatus. That's why we have these labeled as the beatitudes. In Latin, it's B-E-A-T-U-S. So these are the beatitudes because of the Latin word for blessed. And it means fortunate. It means blissful. It means happy. It means content. It means satisfied. There are so many different connotations that we have in our world today, in our society today, of what it means to be blessed. But what they thought then was that somebody who was blessed was in some ways favored by God. And so you you mean to tell me that the people who are favored by God are the people who are poor in spirit. Now, Now, they would have looked at somebody like Abraham, who had a lot of land, who had a lot of descendants who was very wealthy, powerful, and influential, and they would have called Abraham blessed. Not because he was poor in spirit, but because, obviously, everywhere he went, everything that he put his hand to, he had the Midas touch, right? Everything that he did turned to gold. Remember, he and Lot were trying to choose the land. They were taking up too much space. And so Abraham says, okay, you go one way, I'll go the other way. And what does Lot choose? His nephew, Lot, chooses the best plush land that he can see. Abraham gets this rocky wasteland, and God blesses Abraham in the rocky wasteland. And we say it that way, God blessed Abraham. Why do we think that God blessed Abraham? Because his livestock thrived, because crops began to grow. And what was a rocky wasteland became an oasis. When you think about somebody that's blessed right now, think in your mind, somebody that you count as blessed. Is that somebody 
who is poor in spirit. Is that somebody who you would count as humble? Is that somebody that you would count as gentle and meek and mild? Is that somebody that you would count as satisfied no matter what life throws at them? Or is that somebody that you would count as, and everything they do seems to turn to gold. Every business that they start is successful. Every job that they get, they get the promotion. I don't understand. We're working in the same place. We're side by side. We're doing the same job. The quality of work is the same. And yet they keep climbing the ladder and I keep staying the same. They must be blessed. Somebody pulls up in a new, nice truck with a lift kit. They're obviously blessed, right? That's how our society views this idea of blessing. It's luck. It's fortune. Fortune favors the bold. It's those who have taken risks and they worked out. Folks, Jesus is going to spend the next 12 verses total. He's going to tell us what it really means to be blessed. And he starts with a blessing that says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is unique to Matthew. In all the other gospels, it's always the kingdom of God. It's always the kingdom of God. Matthew is the only gospel writer who tells us the kingdom of heaven belongs to the poor in spirit. I don't know about you, but I want to belong to the kingdom of heaven. I want for the kingdom of heaven to be mine. And so I need to know what does it mean to be poor in spirit? How do I do that so that the kingdom of heaven can be mine? And I want us to understand something. Being poor in spirit has nothing to do with your material possessions. Being poor in spirit has nothing to do with whether you are materialistically poor. It has nothing to do with your affluence. It has nothing to do with the amount of money that you have in the bank. Don't read this and read, blessed are the poor. So I, I, I've got to sell everything that I own and I've got to give away. And if I have any wealth, then obviously I'm a bad person and I must not belong to the kingdom of heaven. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is drawing attention to the fact that those who are truly blessed, Those who really get it are the ones who understand that spiritually, before God, we are the most impoverished of the poor. I want you to think of the most poverty you've ever seen in your life. I've I've been to many places in my life that were completely impoverished. I'm talking about going on a mission trip to Guadalajara and you're having to step over dirty disposable diapers that have just been thrown out and now form the street. The street is covered in dirt and trash because they've got nowhere to put their trash. They've got nothing else to do with it, so they throw it in the street. Have you ever been on a a mission trip or, or anywhere where you built a house for someone in a week's time because all you had to do was put up four walls with eight by eight space in between and they have a mansion compared to all the rest of their neighbors? Think about the most impoverished people that you know. And now I want us to put ourselves in those shoes spiritually. Something that you and I tend to forget all the time is that we've got nothing compared to what God has. When God sees our spiritual goodness, our righteousness, our spiritual wealth, 
or what we know and what we have to offer Him, it's, it's filthy rags. It's streets covered in dirty diapers. It's dirty. It's mucky. It's grimy. There's nothing pretty or attractive about it. And so many times, you and I like to think that God is lucky or fortunate or blessed that we follow Him. That He has our resources at His disposal. And the truth of the matter is, every single one of us is spiritually bankrupt. We have not a penny to our name. Have you ever been in a situation where you were truly homeless? You had no car You had no house. I've known people and I've talked to people who have gotten heavily involved in drugs. And their parents, in an attempt to show them tough love, kicked them out of the house. They've already burned every bridge with all of their friends. And they call me up because they have nowhere to go. They are going to sleep somewhere on the ground if somebody doesn't take them in. Spiritually speaking, that is you and me. And you and I, somehow or another, in our comfortable houses, with our air conditioning, with our nice cars that get us where we need to go, having enough money to pay for what we need to pay for, to buy weeks worth of groceries at a time, we forget that spiritually we are destitute with nowhere to lay our head, with no home to call our own. We have nothing before God. God owes us zero, zilch, nada. There's nothing that we do that is good or that says, hey, God, I'm the man. I'm awesome. Look at me. Look at how spiritual I am. God looks at us and he sees hopeless, spiritually destitute children who are wandering in the wilderness. Folks, unless we understand that that's who we are, we can never be accepted by God. If you and I think that there's things that we can do to work our way to heaven, we will never be blessed. If you and I think that there are things that we can do to earn God's favor, then we will never inherit the kingdom of heaven. The only way to be favored by God is to understand that at the heart of the issue, I've got nothing before the Lord God Almighty. Spiritually, I am poor and destitute. I have Nothing to offer Him. I think over the years, we've categorized sin in these strange ways where we put really bad sins over here, and then we put really minor sins over here. And none of us really want to see ourselves over in that category. We put drug addicts over in that category. We put alcoholics over in that category. We put adulterers and homosexuals over in that category. But over here... Us, those of us who are prideful and selfish, those of us who do minor sins, maybe we tell a little white lie every so often, maybe we fib every now and again. These are not that bad of sins. And here's how I can tell when I know that I've done that and I've put myself in this category. It's because I forget what spiritual poverty looks like. It looks like sin infecting every conversation I have. It looks like sin affecting every aspect of our world. And so when we don't realize the significance of the infection of sin that we have, we're unable to picture how good heaven is. 
So I want you to take a minute. I'm, I'm going to be quiet. And I want you to think about what's going to make heaven so good. Right now, if you're thinking of streets of gold, if you're thinking of anything that has to do with a mansion, if you're thinking of how bright and beautiful it will be, those are all nice things. But I want you to imagine Jesus is there. That's the best. doesn't get any better than that. And then our relationships and our existence will be utterly and completely sinless. Can you imagine a relationship where there is no pride, there, there is no coveting, there is no jealousy, that there is no self-centeredness, there is no narcissism, there is no it's about me, it's about me, it's about me. It's a humble, meek relationship of mutual love and respect. A relationship where there is no lying, there is no falsehood, there is no bearing false witness, there is no adultery. There is no cheating. There is no betrayal. There is no treachery. Do we see the picture of what sin has done to us and to our world? Every relationship that we have ever had with our mom, with our dad, with our siblings, with our friends, with our extended family, with our boss, with our employees, no matter who it is, no matter where it is, every relationship is riddled with sin that curses us and corrupts us to the very core of who we are. We have nothing in the sight of God when it comes to spirituality because we're all absolutely riddled with sin. And sin is not just some tiny little itty-bitty problem. It is a pandemic beyond what COVID could ever have dreamed of being. Beyond what the Spanish flu could have ever hoped to becoming. Sin is a problem that affects every generation all the way back to Adam and Eve. And we are destitute before God Almighty who should kill us who should wipe us off the face of the earth and should never have let us continue to exist. I never should have been born. That's how spiritually poor and worthless I am and how worthless my life should be. But here's the thing. It's that it's that incredible conjunction and then the name of the Lord. But God, but God being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which He has loved you and me. Even when we were dead. Even when we were spiritually impoverished. Even when we were poor and destitute. Even when there was no hope. He decided to make hope for us. When we begin to think that our sin is not that big of a deal. Remember that the only way. The absolute only way for the smartest being that has ever or will ever exist. To resolve the issue of sin was for him to send his one and only son to live the perfect life that we could not. The only way for him to resolve the problem of sin and redeem us was for Jesus, the son, to be born of a virgin, to live a perfect life and to die the death that we deserve and then be raised from the dead. That's how serious this problem of sin is. And that's where Jesus starts in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes. He's got all of His disciples and all of the crowds here. And He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Because when you and I realize that we have no wealth when it comes to our spiritual existence, when we are poor and hopeless, then we get it. Those who are spiritually poor 
will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Not because they live a good life. Not because they do a lot of good things. I've heard a sermon where this is preached as the be attitudes, not the do attitudes. And I mean, I know it's corny and hokey, but it is true. It's not about a list of things that we can do. It's about an understanding that we've got nothing before God Almighty. That I offer Him nothing. He doesn't need me. I'm not essential. He wants me. He chooses to use me in spite of myself. He chooses to offer me a wealth of spiritual existence through the death and resurrection of His Son. This is why the kingdom of heaven can be yours and mine. Because when we truly get it, when we truly understand that we have nothing before the Lord God Almighty, anything good that we can do, it's because God has showered us with His blessings. The blessing of His Holy Spirit. Just like we studied in our Sunday school lesson this morning. God's Holy Spirit with us, in us, working through us. But see, that's not possible until you and I surrender and recognize that we are truly poor in spirit. And pride is such a deceptive and sneaky little disease. Isn't it crazy how pride just works its way into our lives? And before we know it, we might not ever say it out loud, but boy, we sure are proud of how we're living and what we're doing. Boy, the Lord should be proud of me. I've made it to church four times this month. And I went on a couple Wednesday nights too. Sure am doing good. No wonder my life's going so great. I'm blessed because I'm going to church. No. I'm glad you're here. I hope you keep coming. Church is a good place to be. We need to be in church together. But God's not blessing you because you're in church. It's not God blessing me because I do X, Y, Z. It's God being merciful and gracious to a worthless sinner like me. I don't deserve any of it. I could go to church and come here and preach and pray and sing every day, all day, for the rest of my life, and it still would not even cover a fraction of what I owe to the Lord Jesus Christ. I could give Him every penny that I own, and I could take on debt so that I might offer Him thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, all my life's earnings, and it will not scratch the surface of what God has spent on me and on you. And you and I have the audacity to think that we can earn this. That we can work hard enough. Listen, he sets this tone because the rest of this sermon has a twofold purpose. It's to show what true disciples of Jesus are to look like. In this world, this is the way that the disciples of Jesus will strive to be. The second thing is to put the standard so high to show us There's no way we will ever measure up. You've heard it said, do not murder. But I tell you, if you have ever looked at your brother with hatred in your heart, then you have committed murder yourself. Whoa. I mean, I was doing not great with the Ten Commandments, but I I had a hope with the Ten Commandments. You know what I mean? But all of a sudden, you tell me if I look at my brother with hatred, I can remember several times in my life that I looked at my brother with hatred in my heart. I'm not talking about like brother in the broad sense. I just mean my physical brother, eight years older than me, when he was beating up on me, I looked at him with hatred in my heart. Jesus says, you're never going to make it. 
You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you that if you look on a person of the opposite sex, if you look on someone with lust in your heart, then you might as well have slept with them because the heart is where your sin is happening. The seed of every sin is in every heart. The whole point of the Sermon on the Mount is that we can't do it. It's what we're to strive to look like, but we'll never make it. The only way to make it is realizing that what he says in the rest of this sermon, we truly are spiritually poor and we are in desperate need of what he will do by the end of Matthew's gospel. What we celebrated last Sunday, that he will die on the cross, that he never looked on anyone with lust. He never looked on anyone with hatred in his heart. He was the salt. He was the light. Everything that he says in this sermon, he did. He lived perfectly, tempted in every way that we're tempted, tried in every way that we're tried, suffered in every way that we suffer, and yet was without sin. That's our Jesus. So he tells this sermon and preaches this sermon to set up for us. Every single one of you listening to this sermon, myself and everybody there and all through the generations, you're all spiritually poor. Here's the standard to strive for. You can't make it, but I'm going to make it for you. And I wonder this morning, have you ever surrendered in that way? Have you ever truly given up any hope that you have of attaining or achieving a right status with God on your own? Have you ever fully surrendered and said to the Lord God Almighty, I am spiritually bankrupt. I am poor, I am broke, and I've got nothing that I can offer you, Lord. In spite of that, Lord Jesus, would you save me? Would you change me? Would you bless me, God? The only way to be blessed and to inherit the kingdom of heaven is for us to acknowledge and recognize our spiritual poverty in front of a holy and perfect God. Have you ever done that? Maybe you have. And maybe you're one of the folks that comes here this morning and you've been following Jesus for decades. But that, that secret, sneaky pride has crept into your life. Maybe your business is doing well. Maybe things are going really well in your life. And you've decided, I am blessed. And you know what? I'm blessed and favored by God because I'm doing X, Y, Z. And this morning you just needed a reminder. Like I need reminders all the time. That if I am blessed, it is only by God's grace and mercy. And that I owe everything I have and everything I am to Him. And whether I've got plenty of money in the bank or whether I don't know where my next meal is coming from, if I've got Jesus, I am blessed. If I recognize my spiritual poverty, whether my car runs, whether my brakes squeal, whether the Internet's working at the church, I am blessed. That should be our attitude towards life, physically and spiritually. My dad used to always say, people would ask him, it would drive me nuts, always embarrass me. People would say, hey, Wayne, how are you? And he'd say, I'm blessed and highly favored of the Lord. I'd be like, Dad, golly, come on. Why you got to be that guy? You know, like, you know, you just kind of want to crawl under a rock for a minute. 
But I never, I never paid close enough attention to what he was saying. You see, my dad understood that he's got nothing before the Lord. And to this day, he still knows that. So when somebody asked him how he was doing, and he said he was blessed and highly favored of the Lord, it had nothing to do with his job. It had nothing to do with our house. It had nothing to do with our family. It had everything to do with the fact that no matter what happens to him in this life, no matter how things are in his physical existence, spiritually, because of Jesus Christ, he is and was and forever will be blessed and highly favored of the Lord. That status is available to each and every one of us 